2: Welcome into Attacking Third. This is your crew, Sandra Herrera, Lisa Carlin, and Darian Jenkins, and I'm Jenny Chu here with you guys on this beautiful Monday morning. So much to recap. We have European weekend recap. Um, All of those matches on zone. we're going to go through them. But first, let me hit you guys with a little bit of news, and I want to get everybody's take on all of this. The Swiss government has cut funding for the 2025 W Euros from 15 million Swiss francs were initially earmarked it has fallen to 4 million Swiss francs. This is insane because the men's euros budget was 82 million. And now we're talking about going from a 15 million budget to 4 million. Lisa, I see you shaking your head. You are not happy about this.
0: Yeah, obviously, Jenny. I mean, this is terrible. Frankly, this is absolutely terrible that They're coming out and saying months before this competition, yeah, we're actually not going to support it and put as much funding in there as we know we should. And as we know how much it deserves. I mean, what does this say about women's football in Switzerland, right? It says that we're not serious about it. It says that we don't really care and it's going to be fine, whatever. You guys are on the back burner. You're an afterthought to us. Especially when you think about how many other countries put a bid in and they wanted to host the W Euros and they didn't get them because Switzerland won. France, Poland, I think Scandinavia, they put a joint bid in as well. And Switzerland beat out those three others. and. Now they're just failing to even compete and, and to kind of live up to the standards,
3: yeah, I don't know if any of us are going to have any different sentiment other than what like Lisa just expressed. I don't think any of us are going to come on here and say, "Well, that's understandable." Like, no, it's b s. It's, it's like it's absolutely disappointing, It's deeply unserious, It's offensive, It's disrespectful. Let's just go down at the source of, of words to kind of a, a express that. It's just like, here we go again you know it's like i think we we chat you know on and off uh, of camera about this this kind of stuff and we're all very proud to have jobs where we get to talk about women's soccer we all love it care about it so much and we often talk about the fact that we unfortunately also have a job where we just can't come on here and just talk about like the soccer or the X's and the O's and just performances. Like there's a lot of times where we hop onto these episodes and yes, we have plans to talk about those, but we also need to carve out this time to talk about these sort of atrocities (laughs) that also still constantly occur in the women's game. And it's not like we are taking time to talk about something that is happening in a, secondary or lower division club in XYZ country, we are talking about the women's euros. They're doing this at the highest possible stage. It's quite literally insane to me like I'm sorry to even use that word but it's just no one can make it make sense to me that it is for some reason acceptable after having made these commitments, made these promises saying you're going to have this amount of investment and say, actually, we have to scale it back. We we change our mind. Then what are you doing here to begin with? Yeah.
2: I, I think you've really expressed your your the same anger that we all feel here, Sandra, but that begs the question of should they reopen the bidding process? Because they did beat out, like like Lisa said there, France, Poland and a joint Scandinavian bid to host. If those countries are in a better position financially to go ahead and give those resources, would you reopen that to them?
3: I mean, is, it, is there time? Right. Is there is there time? I mean, it's funny. Of course, there's time because, again, it's women's soccer. And we, you know, we we still are waiting where the 2027 World Cup is going to be, you know, uh, hosted, you know. I w- so I'm sure maybe maybe UEFA might step in and say, hmm. That's not impossible to reopen this up and find another spot. I mean, but that's that's equally disappointing to me. The the concept that it's like, you know, it's still a little bit of ways out and we can absolutely be nimble and shift things and and pivot. You know, I I would I would love for that to not be the case, but is I think that's the other sub question to that, Jenny, is like, is there actually enough time to do that? Do they reach back out to those other countries that that made a bid?
0: There's 18 months until the W, uh, the women's Euros, right? July of 2025. So next summer, frankly, Sandra, I think that that's enough time. When you look at some of the other countries that have already put in bids, France has the infrastructure, the stadiums, and the ability to do that, in my opinion. Um, And it's also if the country is willing, right, to do that, because now they realize that uh, there's a lot of scrutiny on this because of the way Switzerland handled it and the fact that 18 months out, they said, oh, actually, we're completely slashing the funding to practically nothing
4: for this. Yeah, I think they absolutely should open up. I I mean, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And it's such a freaking shame. Like, we, we talked about the Euros and how successful they were and how many people tuned in and all of these players showing out and having the success that women's soccer, we've always known it's had. And finally, it's gaining momentum. The world is hopping on. The world is tuning in. And then shit like this happens. And I hope the one light that could come out of this is that other countries, if they open the bid again, and other countries are able to prove that they're really going to invest and say, well, we'll put the money in. Switzerland, you're you're going to cut all of the funding. Watch us do this. And then have to elevate the level. And it's going to make, in the future, everyone else is going to have to step up and really back putting in bids like this. Because this is ridiculous. This This isn't something that happens in the men's game.
3: I like how there's a little bit of like. Eighteen months out. I like how there's a yeah. little bit of like, let's. They should be shamed, and then we can figure out solutions. I love that exactly. That. Shame, shame.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I mean, you met. You say this doesn't happen in the men's game, Darian. Like the the difference in money here is insane. Eighty two million francs for the men's Euros, and now to be trying to slash the women's to four million. I mean, you have to have money to host a tournament like this. So if they don't have it. I'm totally open to potentially opening for another bid and and hoping that a country will will put the resources down so that this can happen. Let's go ahead and move on because we all have the same opinion there. This is shameful. We're going to throw a little bit of rocks there at at shame, shame and try to find a better host there. (laughs) Boo. Tomato,
3: tomato. It's not even tomato. It's like boo, anvil, anvil, anvil. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Boo. Reopen the (laughs) bid. Reopen the bid. Um, But off to good news. The U.S. Women's National Team, the youth, are on to the 2024 Women's U17 Championship. They beat Mexico 4-0 and they outscored their opposition 32 to 2 during their title run to claim US's sixth U17 CONCACAF title and the fourth in a row. This is massive news because this is something that we've been touching on on attacking third is do we have the youth systems in place to provide us with a full national team that is set up for success. This win is a, such a great thing. Sandra, I know you've been following the tournament.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I think there was a lot of um, excitement around it just because you could take a look at the roster and, and just sort of be impressed and say, there's a couple of pros technically on on this roster already. And, And I know folks get excited about that kind of stuff. But I would also make the the argument that coming out of this tournament, you have another question presented to you where you're like, is it possible that maybe there could be one or two others um in this one as well? I, I know there was a lot of attention placed on on Mel Barcenas and uh Pfeiffer as well. But coming out of this one, you got Kennedy Fuller as a top goal scorer in this game. I thought Maya Tiles had a really, really good tournament as well. It begs to maybe bring up the question was like, oh, okay, we're were there some scouts at some of these games? Are we gonna maybe, you know, see a potential path to to pro for some of these players? I know that's such a big leap in such a deep question to, to ponder when you are such a young player but you know we're we're seeing it you know at, at the pro level in the women's game in the United States which maybe that's not uncommon in Europe but we continue to see this trend move forward especially out of um, big tournaments like this so they they had a very successful tournament they lifted up their sixth ever trophy I think that that's wonderful it's a CONCACAF specific championship. So I think there's that other side of it for me, too, uh, where I'm also looking at maybe some of the other programs in the region and saying, you know, what are we looking at in, in terms of the investment and resources that are being put into, into the youth side of the game for some of these other uh, nations who are being representative? I think we can have all of those conversations at once. Both of those things can exist. But, you know, not to take away from very successful campaign for them. Congrats. Absolutely. All the way.
2: Yeah, Darian, why don't you go ahead and talk to us about how you know maybe that transition between the U17s and the U20s hasn't been as successful as we've seen. Where is that disconnect
4: happening? I believe that disconnect is happening where there's no adaptation of the game from those two levels. I think the U.S. has always had a blueprint. Even Jenny, like when we were in the system, there's always been that blueprint of this is how you play, this is how you play. It's a four-three-three. Three and it's very structured and we've seen that even with the full team that it's been the same story of oh is the game going to adapt how tactically are they going to change it's kind of the same the same thing we've seen at every level and so i think hopefully with u17s having these massive wins making history and like some good news coming from <laughs> us youth and our and our teams sparks that and i think with emma hayes coming in that there's going to be that each level is going to have much more of of a multi-dimensional tactical game, technical game players that are more savvy than, than what we've seen in the history of US soccer. I think everyone else in the world is just catching up and it's starting at the youth level. You know, U17s can go in and smash these teams outscoring 32-2 to against their opponents. Those teams are going to learn a lot from those losses and come back in the U20 cycle, the U23 cycle to the full teams and have a chip on their shoulder and more wrinkles to their game than the U.S. who's kind of been bulldozing until it doesn't work. So I think that that's what's been the issue. But hopefully with, you know, the U-17s doing so well, we start to see more layers to the game. And overall, the youth programs, right, the, the
0: development of them, yes, in CONCACAF, and Sandra touched on this, in CONCACAF, looking at the competition is one thing. And to be able to say, yes, the U.S. has won their fourth consecutive CONCACAF uh u 17 championship, which of course, making it to that championship match qualifies them for the world cup. But honestly, I think the real test comes at the world cup because that's where the U S youth programs haven't been able to find consistent success. And that's where the rest of the world seems to be overtaking the United States specifically in how much investment they're putting into the youth levels and how much they're able to develop players, um, not just on the pitch, but their IQ of the game and their understanding of tactics and formations and how to switch things and how to overcome adversity. Because when you are kind of bulldozing teams, you tend to get a sense of confidence when it, it before the 30th minute for US against Mexico in this championship, you're up three nil at that point. So it then there needs to be a next Level, a next gear shift for them. And that test is going to come in the U17 World Cup for sure.
2: So I guess the biggest thing for me is that, yes, we see this disconnect between, yes, being able to beat these CONCACAF teams and then going to the World Cup, but there's also the disconnect between the age groups. So going from the U17 to the U20 to the full team, um, something that we've been talking about during Spain's program, or when we were highlighting Spain's program, they have the same style of play throughout the youth system, right? So you could plug into any of the teams throughout the system because they all play the same way and your role would be the same on the different teams. And when we have different coaches, having their own philosophies or ways of playing at every level. So the U-17 coach has a completely different way of playing than the U-20 coach. You move over to the U-20 program and, you know, you get pulled up because you're old, you're a better player or whatever. You now have to play a completely different style of play. Is that something that the U.S. should be making sure that they have under Emma Hayes is a complete full structure from the youth level up and basically from the full team down with the same exact style of play so you can fit in in every program and, and kind of know what US is style is Sandra,
3: you know, I'm a little on the fence, you know, with that one, Jenny, just because of the year that we're coming off of from the senior level down, you know, and sort of the back and forth and the conversation that we've had uh, around it. I mean, we heard coming out of of that World Cup at the senior level, that players weren't 100% sure on their roles in the biggest tournament of their lives. You know, and it makes you wonder if there's a little bit of a, a trickle down there at all. I think it's important, I think, at that age, at that level, to have the, that structure, to have something d- definitive to help in in the in the case of, of general development at the U stages. But I do wonder if once you elevate that, once they're out of a, a U-17 or into a U-20 uh, CONCACAF championship or U-20 World Cup, When do you start to change things? When do you start to introduce the concept of different, like being able to have that adaptability, that flexibility in presenting different game plans, presenting, you know, different formations and testing out and seeing at the youth levels, you know, the, the soccer IQ that comes into play with, with players and their ability to be able to have that kind of interchange. So I'm a little... I think I'm a little not sold one, one way or the other. I think all of it's in, important at this point.
2: Darian, since you've been with the national team, and obviously you talk about how the U.S. national team, we knew how the U.S. is going to play and, and what we needed to do. Do you think that that's something that
4: has to be put in place when Emma Hayes comes through? Look, I think I think what makes a great coach is that they do have some sort of blueprint. You look at coaches like Heraldes, who – You know how Barcelona is going to come play, but the thing that separates them and why they're so good is that they adapt in real time during a game. They have tactical and technical IQ to make changes and play off of what the other team is giving. And that is why Spain has been so successful and England. They don't have just this one dimensional way that they've been playing, which I think was the US, the full team's issue coming into the World Cup. So I think Emma Hayes coming in is going to be amazing, but she's one of the coaches that gets that. Also on this show, we've been hypercritical about the lack of great coaches that have come in and like unlicensed coaches. Now we're seeing that that type change. We're seeing good coaches come in that have the credentials, that have the experience, and the success from former teams that have had to have had to have adapt in different leagues and different games. So I do think Emma Hayes is going to bring that, and that it's going to be a trickle down effect into the youth teams because that's how the U.S. is going to get back to what they're known for which is kind of world domination but it's going to look different than what we've seen
2: well we look forward to what emma hayes brings to the table and how the teams kind of shake out from there and you mentioned definitely needing more high quality coaches in the u.s system all right great conversation we'll be sure to continue this when we talk about the u.s women's national team in other episodes let's go to a quick commercial and we'll be back with more european coverage
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome back into Attacking Third. Like I mentioned, we're going to go over those match recaps from European football. Cologne losing to Bayern 5-0. Bayern winning five nil whichever way you want to say that you know which one, <laughs> one. uh wolfsburg three nil to frankfurt that's a w for them leon and psg draw leon came into this match 10 points ahead of psg and there was a late own goal to make that differentiation we'll talk about it napoli losing to roma one nil and then ajax four nil against Feyenoord, and lily johannes With a goal and an assist and a player of the match honors. Let's go ahead and get started with Wolfsburg against Frankfurt. Lisa, talk us through it.
0: Yeah, Jenny, um, I I like this matchup. Wolfsburg wins 3-0 over Frankfurt. But to be honest, the the scoreline is not at all indicative of how this match played out and how much of a battle it was for Wolfsburg. I think a lot of people could look at that scoreline and think, wow, Wolfsburg was able to just kind of run through and, and get three on the board. That was not at all the case. It, Wolfsburg took this game, I think, in like 20 minute segments because they once they started to get into the match and, and kind of understand how Frankfurt was gonna press them, Wolfsburg did a really good job of building out of the back and then getting into their attacking end. They created chances, they had good crosses, Shout out to Jan's daughter for her long throw-ins because that those were the most dangerous chances that Wolfsburg created throughout this entire game until the goals came, right? And ultimately when the goals did come. But there were no, in the first half, there was no clear chances from either side on goal. It, it was a gritty battle. Both sides really trying to stay organized defensively. Wolfsburg, frankly, doing a better job of that against a Frankfurt side that looked pretty disjointed in their attack their their forwards didn't have a lot of rhythm together it was like one would check back for the ball and the midfielder looking to play it to them went long so they were just off uh, on not on the same page throughout the first half by any means no nil at halftime then in the second half Frankfurt, Continuously playing out of the back against a really high pressure from Wolfsburg made me very, very nervous at times because Wolfsburg just got way too close with their pressure and what they were able to do. But Jan's daughter, her her throw-ins continuously were the best chances. And ultimately, that's where the opening goal comes from for Wolfsburg. It's a long throw-in from Jan's daughter, Dina Johannes, the Frankfurt goalkeeper. She ends up getting it before she falls to the ground. She gets hit by her own player. And it goes in the back of the net. So the first goal for Wolfsburg, is an own goal on Johannes, the Frankfurt goalkeeper. Um, Alex Pop got a little flick on after the throw-in. But once that opening goal came, the, the match just opened up. Frankfurt was able to get a, a few more chances. They looked a little bit more dangerous and threatening when they were going forward. forward. And then the final five minutes is when Wolfsburg actually closed the door on the game. Um, there was an insane strike from the edge of the box. Lena Le in the 85th minute, who influenced that first goal that came for Wolfsburg. And then ultimately um, a, a final goal in the stoppage time at the end of this one for Wolfsburg. But it, 3-0 at the end, Wolfsburg is definitely happy with that scoreline, but it was not smooth sailing for them throughout this match. They're gonna have to continue to tighten things up defensively, make sure they're really organized and that they finish their chances. That's been the Achilles heel for Wolfsburg all year. That they get chances, they're creating opportunities. But they're not finishing them when they need to.
3: Are they going to catch Bayern, Lisa? What do you think? No, not not
0: the way that they play in this match, right? Like it, you think about it against a Bayern side, they're not going to get as many opportunities and as many chances as they did, frankly, against Frankfurt. So, it, no, it, you have to be able if you get one or two chances in a game to actually finish them and find the back of the net. I like that question, Sandra.
3: Well, no. it's because I'm, because I'm with you. I knew you. I knew I had a feeling that that was going to be your answer. No. But i'm with you because i kind of feel like bayern's going to be on this like revenge tour a little bit after getting bounced from from champions league i mean they had no mercy against clones so i i wanted to ask you just to see if we were still on the same page
2: (laughs) you guys are always on the same page why are you even asking sandra you guys are (laughs) telepathic um i'm going to move over to leon and psg like i mentioned heading into this game leon was 10 points ahead of psg in league play but i thought psg had a great game the psg goalkeeper Kept them in it though, okay. So like the biggest thing, I, I the pronunciation here is going to struggle with, but Katazina neck the PSG goalkeeper, there was multiple opportunities where there was free kicks and corner kicks, and Leon is getting, I mean, close range headers off. It's Lindsay Hiran, it's Lesameir, like just very very close to the goal, very quick reaction saves from the PSG goalkeeper, and there was four or five of them that absolutely could have and should have been goals, and she keeps them in the game. When we talk about Leon's backline, they were playing like pretty high. Which allows a through ball in for PSG and that's exactly how they get a couple of opportunities. And then finally Chewinga looks to get in behind and gets that final goal. The goal was beautiful. It looks like it's set up for one of her feet and she definitely uses the outside of her other foot to do the to the outswinger. I mean Trivela beautiful. Tres dedos, whatever we want to call it, Sandra. It was gorgeous, but it was because Leona was playing that high line and allowing that through ball to get in behind. They did it a couple times before, unable to score on the opportunity, and then Chiwenga does get that beautiful goal in. But again, the goalkeeper keeping them in the game for PSG, and it's Cascarino's effort on the right side. She, If you take a look at the play, she leaves so many defenders out of the play with her dribble. Uh, I think she takes away two or three players there, and then three on the cross. So about five players are out of the play and flop flat-footed because of that run in the cross. And then Elisa de Almeida gets caught facing her own goal and she taps it into her own net. I mean, it's such a tragic moment because it's like the 90th minute and they basically had the win there, 1-0. Lyon was knocking, but PSG was getting saved by Kiedzerneck, And it's really unfortunate because they held on, they played a smart match, but the goalkeeper was outstanding. That own goal has them draw 1-1. They continue to be undefeated on both sides, but no loss for either squad, but that is an important point for PSG trying to catch up to um, the 10 point differentiation between Leon and PSG. But really, all they're doing is separating from the rest of the pack because Leon is just so incredibly dominant. So that was an interesting one for us. Um, I really enjoyed the match. It was like so much fun to watch both sides going at it different ways that they go out. I know Darian, you're nodding your head because you, you're very familiar with French football and, and how impressive those two squads are. It was really good to see PSG what a fight in with Lyon because those are pretty much the only two teams that are going to, you know, go at it that way in the in the French League.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a huge rivalry. That game on the women's side and the men's side is really fun to watch. Huge energy. I want to talk about, one, Chawinga. I think she is going to be one of the best forwards in the world. I think she's just picking up steam in this league because the way that she moves on and off the ball is insanity everything's like this aggressive power but if you go watch her goal look at her face and how calm she is technically on the ball she's never looking stressed or like she's fighting to sprint to get to a ball she is so smooth so eloquent um yeah i think we're i think we're watching the beginning of the next forward superstar i am fascinated by her game also Lindsay Haran was giving life and limb in this match. Did anyone else notice? that yes. She's <laughs> thrown her head into anything she possibly could have. And damn, she, you know, she got, she was a little bloody at one point. But I love it because that just shows what this rivalry is all about. So I thought it was a really good game. Leon had quite a few chances that they should have scored, in my opinion. Um, but you're right, Jenny, the keeper, was. Standing on her head. This was a weekend for keepers because I've got a couple other ones I also want to shout out.
3: Yeah, I think these are the games where you kind of look for those performances. I I think Mm -hmm. touching on, we touched on it for a second where Jenny mentioned that it's kind of coming down to a typical two-team race in this particular league. But even when you look at the bigger picture of things, the points split between the two of them in this game isn't really going to move that needle. For right now especially for for psg in the long term of trying to catch up to them you know, but in the meantime getting to watch some of these outstanding individual performances these are those kind of games where you take a look and you say okay like i i see what you're what you're cooking what you're serving up here like let's let's keep it going let's maybe see that you know i think maybe there are folks who Tune into a match like this and like listening to to Darian kind of speak a little bit about Chewingo. Maybe for that, it's like it's another game that people could just sort of like put in the memory bank file, saying like, yeah, this this player is 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 coming through. And of course, I mean, who doesn't like to add to the legacy of uh, Haran in terms of throwing her head into those kind of <laughs> challenges? But it was another. Again, it was another. It was one.
4: giving Julie Ertz. It really yeah, really was. <laughs> that's a good it's one. A, it
3: was another one of those games where you can kind of just pluck out these very like radical kind of indi- like individual performances. And I think when it comes to those rivalry games, that's, that's kind of what you're looking for too.
2: All right, Darian, take us through Napoli against Roma. Roma getting that 1-0 win.
4: Yeah, back-to-back wins over Napoli. Uh, Roma, they looked great in this game. I thought, you know, they created a lot of opportunities. They had eight shots on target, 18 shots in total. I do think they could have finished a couple more, especially in the first half. They were... Serving balls in from the left and the right side, um, had some shots from distance, but Giuliano got the finish off of a cross as a kind of a half volley, she put into the back of the net. But they did look a little sus in the back line. There were some opportunities where Napoli were able to get through their back line, but lo and behold, the legend Lena Lenari, always making the last ditch saves and making it look easy, kept the ball out quite a few times where I actually think Napoli could have tied it up. But it was a really good game. I also think that Napoli's goalkeeper, Bacic, kept them in the game. I said, you know, Roma should have scored a couple more. Standing on her head, it was a weekend for goalkeepers. She's one of the three er, that I wanted to highlight. But yeah, it was a good game. And Roma, I think, are have such good momentum. And it was good to see our girl, Evelyn Vienne, out on the pitch.
2: Awesome. All right, you talked about Roma right there. We're going to ho- go ahead
4: and have Evelyn
2: Vienne join us for an interview next. Welcome back into Attacking Third. We are so excited to welcome an Olympic gold medalist and Roma player, Evelyn Viennes, to Attacking Third. Evelyn, thanks for joining us.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: First of all, you guys are top of the table at Roma. Tell me about your time so far and how you've been enjoying it.
5: It's been good. It's been pretty busy. not going to lie with so many games. But um, overall, it's been good. I mean, we're top of the table so far. We did Champions League. We are still in the Cup of Italy, so it's good.
2: Coming off of the Swedish league, like what has I guess Italy been like?
5: I think the playing style is really different than what I am used to. In a way of here, people love to keep the ball in possession of it and just really confident on the ball. In Sweden, I would say it was more physically different. I think it was a little bit more challenging and in the way of people to tackle were different than here. And I think here technically people are really above what I what I've played with. And it's a, it's a great challenge for me. Evelyn, you mentioned playing in all
0: these various competitions right now, of course, in league play with Roma, uh, the champions league, the league cup. I want to ask how you balance that because it is such a demanding schedule and to have so many different games, whether it's the competition or your game style, how do you personally handle that many games and the volume of games?
5: It's a good question. I'm still trying to figure it out in some way. <laughs> I think, um, this morning, I was talking with Saki about how many games we have played since January. Seven, it was our first game when the Supercopa. And before national team break, I think we'll have played 12 games with uh, a lot of traveling. So I think I'm just trying to stay, give it all on the field. And when I go home, just like be able to think about other stuff because it's a lot of football. I love it. But at the same time, you need to stay balanced. And yeah, I'm trying to like find ways to help my body to recover faster and just be every game at the top. But I'm not going to lie, it's it's hard emotionally. Sometimes you play Champions League and after in the weekend you play a, a league game that has a different intensity level, but you still need to be able to win those games.
4: Evelyn, you have such diversity in your really young playing career. You played in NWSL, France, Sweden, Italy, Canadian national team. What has each team and in- league or even country kind of added elements to your game can you share like what how that transition has been and how that's really evolved your game as a holistic player yeah i think that's a lot of country
5: i've played in for sure but i think the us and the BSL. i was young when i got there i didn't play much i think it was i learned a lot about physically how you need to be able to be good in transition how you can just bring your style and implement it so i think i learned a lot about how what I need to improve as a player to be able to play in that league. I think in France, I learned the technical aspect and with a mix of tactical. When I got to Sweden, I think I would say tactically, I learned a lot. The coach was one of my favorite coaches I had so far in my career because how she would prepare the games, how she would make sure we were able to win. And I think here, it's for sure, technically, I've been improving a lot. But people on the ball, especially the midfielder, are just confident and just are so agile.
3: Yeah, hey, I w- I want to maybe talk about some of your experiences uh, on the international stage with the uh, Canada's national team gold medalists w- during the Tokyo Games and looking ahead for the program a little bit. The Gold Cup is is coming up. They're going to have an opportunity to go ahead and maybe add some more hardware for the program. Uh what would you maybe like to to see for this team to kind of take those next steps in in this cycle coming up for them? Um
5: I think it's. I mean, we're not going to lie, this, um, this summer was pretty hard at World Cup. I think we had a high at the Olympic, and
3: we did not perform
5: this summer. But since that moment that we lost 4 nothing against Australia, I think we have been able to bounce back, being able to build a team that want to play a little bit more with the ball, just different formation, different style of play. And at the same time, we have been kind of turning a page with Sinclair leaving some great veteran too. So I think it's a different... Leadership group coming up, and we're being, we're for sure going to be focused on the Gold Cup, and Olympic is not too far away. So I think we're in a good direction. We're building in a good way, and I think the base, the values are are still there. And what we did at Olympic was amazing, and we want to keep going. There are a lot of
0: changes happening within this Canada squad. As you mentioned, the retirement of legend, the GOAT, can we say? Christine Sinclair. And with so many international tournaments coming up, the W Gold Cup and then, of course, the Olympics, how do you see your role on this team changing as a
5: veteran? Uh, it's a good question. That's a question that I hope I can answer more in maybe six months. I think I've been in kind of this bubble of in and out and sometimes I'm there and I play. So, of course, I think I have carry a good experience here. I'm playing a lot. I'm playing different positions. So I just hope for this Gold Cup to go in and just bring my identity, bring what I can bring offensively and s- show the coaching staff that I improve in so many aspects. And yeah, I want to, to be part of that team, help the team to win. And yeah, I think it's it's a good question. And I don't think now I can
4: give you a perfect answer because I don't know. <laughs>
0: well, that's OK, Evelyn.
4: We're excited to watch you and see how it continues to evolve. <laughs> yeah, Evelyn, your game has definitely evolved, though. Even you know the stats from you going from team to team, you've become a prolific goal scorer. You come on a pitch and everyone is expecting you to score and you do, you show out. So I have to ask as a former forward as well, what's your favorite type of, what's your favorite goal you've scored and your favorite type of goal to score?
5: Oh, that's favorite goal. Okay, I'm going to answer the second part first because it's, I think I'm such a, I think national team will always say that I'm not fox in the box, but like I just love to be in the box receiving crosses, being there on the first post, I think that's my typical run. So any crosses, any anything in the box I can finish. I love those those finish and favorite goal. Oh my god, that's a really good question. Um thinking quick, I think maybe yeah, when just before the Olympic, I that was my first start with Canada against England. I think I scored after two minutes, so the relief, the the pressure just went out. And yeah, against England, I think two thousand Twenty-one.
3: That was one of my
5: favorites.
3: I love that fox in the box. I'm just. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, energy. Um, we heard you touch a little bit on some of your experiences playing in different areas internationally uh, with Canada. Maybe let's talk a little bit about um, how developing your game comes to life alongside playing with with teammates. You've got some pretty notable ones at, at Roma. Who have you enjoyed really playing with and sort of have uh, kind of felt your own game changing um, while playing alongside them?
5: I think at Roma, it's the first one is for sure Saki Kumagai how she is as a person first is amazing she wants so much stuff and she's the most humble and positive person I know so just being able to do some exercise with her technically I'm learning a lot she's she's not easy on me but I really like working with her and I think in Roma I would say midfielder the Italian I didn't expect that but they're so good technically and just they're small physically compared to a lot of people I play with but the amount of their work, work rate and how they see the game, it's, it's different for sure.
2: We talk about you going to all these different leagues and picking up different things. I, this is a little bit of a fun one, but what does your game day routine look like now? Because you've obviously experienced different players with different routines and picked up things along the way. What does tomorrow
5: um, before you play against Aswolo look like for you? Honestly, since I've been in Roma, I- Kind of stop having too much stuff because this team is the most superstitious team I ever play with. It's <laughs> honestly an hour with it and it's kind of like not mentally stable, in my opinion. They have so many, they follow so many steps. The last person that walk out of the locker room, she needs to be the last one and she goes on the field in a different way. But I think for me, it's I mean, I'm in Italy, I eat pasta every time before a game. And after, I don't do much. I think I just, no, I'm trying. To. I go on the field and I just tell myself some mental word that I, I work with. And yeah, it just I think when I jug I just jump on the line and I, I go. That's that's about it. I don't have that much uh, game day routine anymore.
2: All right. You have to tell me what kind of pasta, though, because I, you know, the Italians <laughs> eat a ton of pasta. My, my boyfriend told me that they eat like a little pie before for a sugar rush as well. Um, what kind of pasta are you eating?
5: I eat the most basic stuff and I wish we had it in Canada that tastes as good, just pasta that they cook really like al dente and after you have some red sauce and some parmesan on top and that's it, it's the best thing. I can eat it every day and it's so basic. (laughs) Evelyn,
4: I know you play with uh, Elena Lenari and I played with her in Bordeaux. I think maybe we might have missed each other while you were at Paris FC, but in France they did sugar packets. Did your team do that too? before a game to have energy. And I thought that was the wildest thing. No, they but they no, I never but
5: they like do espresso, like they drink so much coffee here so much, <laughs> so much. <laughs> like every time. Like we're done at dinner and they just like time for coffee. And if you have if you order a cappuccino after eleven, you're going to get all the comments in the world that it's not okay to do. <laughs> but no, I've never seen people doing uh sugar stuff, but there's snack in the locker room at halftime. We have like parmesan, like cheese, like block like it's, I don't know. Like for me, there's no sandwich. And we have like prosciutto. Like it's, it's not what I'm used to. Remember. That sounds
2: amazing.
4: Do that you sounds like it? a bougie snack.
5: Yeah. Do you eat it at halftime or do you bring your own snack to eat? I bring my own stuff, and sometimes people look at me, but I'm just used to it. But no, it's it's great. It's just like a different culture, but they're super professional, and they do everything. Like, if it works for them, it works for them. Yeah, Hey, you're at the top of the table. It's yeah.
3: working. Let's it up. <laughs>
2: We're asking our producers to give us a little bit of a Parmesan cheese break um, eventually. Um, Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us here on Attacking Third. It was a pleasure and we look forward to seeing you during the Gold Cup.
5: Thank you so much for your time.
2: All right, we will have more Attacking Third for you. Stay with us here. Welcome back into Attacking Third. We're happy you've stayed with us thus far. We're going to talk about the Women's FA Cup. We're going to recap all of the action. Sandra, why don't you take us through Arsenal against Manchester City?
3: What's going on with Arsenal, man? That's where I'm That's where <laughs> that's I'm at. That's the question. That's the question. That's where I'm at right now, Jenny. I, I thought mostly even, but I think at this point, you take a look and what we're seeing on the pitch and maybe you're starting to ask some questions about managerial decisions what are the adjustments or lack thereof that this group can make in order to remain competitive to go ahead and you know achieve their goals in what is essentially a little bit of a, a the cup race here, you know, a, a bit of hardware that they could try to go go after, but not anymore, just because of what we saw out of this match. I think it's there's an argument to be made that maybe it felt even at times during stretches of the game, but some of the physicality I, I know is is on people's minds and in the radar. I, I just kind of like how do we come off of a disciplinary decision that you know, was given to, to Rachel Daly in a three-match ban for some violent conduct, and then we see some elbows flying again, and nothing's really called around that, uh, especially within the box and into such a prolific scorer like, like Bunny Shaw. So that aspect of it was disappointing for me, but maybe you just sort of take it and say, okay, well, where else is this game going to go? But good teams find a way. And Manchester City, I think right now is an incredible form, and they found a way and they advance. In this
0: matchup, yeah, I mean the big question definitely has to be what's happening with Arsenal right now, like oh. why, why are they struggling? And frankly, one of the biggest answers that I can give you following this match is Kiara Keating in goal because <sighs> it, she had a yes. tremendous game. It, it that is why Arsenal was unable to, uh, kind of capitalize on their chances that they had because Arsenal didn't create as many clear cut chances as they should have, frankly, like that is across the board. However, with the chances that they did create Keating said, no, you're not getting in here. This this shutout for Keating was huge for her as a young player who's kind of making her mark on at the national team level, hoping to continue to level up. She had a tremendous, tremendous game, her composure throughout the match was really imp- impressive to see from a young player. And as as a player, once you make really big saves and you have really big plays, you start to feel that energy surge within you. And she stayed locked in for the entire 90 minutes. And, and that is why City won this game, hands down. It is on the back of Kiara Keating in goal for City.
4: Yeah, Lisa, I completely agree. This was my three for three other keeper I was going to highlight because keepers (laughs) always give me crap saying we never give them love. So shout out to the goalkeepers. You guys were killing it this weekend. But the last time that these teams played, she had two huge mistakes that cost them the game. And this time Serena Wegman was there in attendance. There was a lot of pressure. Controversial. Was the ball in? Did it go over the line? We don't know. mm -hmm. She played it off really well. I thought she showed a lot of maturity for how young this goalkeeper is. and also. She's only 5'6". She's 19 years old and 5'6". And if you look at the save she made, especially late in the second half, she looks like she's 6'1". And she plays with that sort of energy. So shout out to the goalkeepers. You guys killed it. She was player of the match for me. And I also thought in the second half, got to give Arsenal a little bit of love. Our American, Emily Fox.
3: It looked like she tried
4: to take the team on her shoulders a little bit. Getting up in the attack, being really aggressive, going one v one. I love seeing her dribble inside and get in front of the goal, and not just cross. But yeah, I thought she had a was one of the better players for Arsenal in this match. But yeah, I think what you you both are right. The big question is: there's what's happening with
3: Arsenal? What are they going to do without her? What are they going to do without Emily Fox? Man, she, exactly. she showed up and played a handful of games, and now she's their best player, and now she's exactly going to hang on the goal cup. What are you? What are what are you going to do, Jonas? What are you going to do, nah. do, Jonas? With Emily Fox, Darian, you're exactly right. Second half, she
0: almost kind of got frustrated with what uh, the attack for Arsenal wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. I want to see her do that early on in the game, right? And and not every yeah. single time. I don't know. I she we know what we're gonna get from Emily Fox. She's talented. She's gonna give a hundred percent. She's a good defense on the defensive side of things. She wants the ball at her feet. She wants to dribble inside. She wants to combine and connect crosses. Can we get variety in her play, right? So have that start early in the game and then switch it up throw the opposition off that's how emily fox is going to continue to level up and continue to get better at the international stage with the u.s and, uh, and then of course with arsenal that that's i want to see more of it from her because she's been consistently this good for the last i'm going to say year and a half two years we've known what we're getting from her i think going to arsenal is going to help her game develop now i want to see consistency in her ability to kind of throw the opposition off
4: I agree. I wonder if this is a this is like a tactical thing with Arsenal, though, because you saw in the second half, they then started to press when if you give City time on the ball, they're going to break you down. They're too good to not. They have too many individual players that are so good, like going 1v1, their crosses, the way that they move off of each other. I don't understand why Arsenal didn't come out from the gate pressing, getting shots early in the match to put City on their heels and then going forward with, you know, sitting back and trying to be more possessed base.
3: I don't know but why those replacements didn't come sooner. Like, you know, yeah. they made rotations. Yeah. They used plenty of subs. But, like, we're seeing some of this kind of come, like, way after the hour mark. Like,
4: yeah. maybe, maybe too
3: late. sooner at, at yeah. the half. Could have maybe got some things going for them. I don't know. We'll see how they come Man- out of this.
0: Manager for Arsenal, Jonas Edeval, he said post game that he was very disappointed. Like, he, they were disappointed with the results. And he ultimately said, quote, we were on the wrong side of the margins today. And I don't really like that okay no take
4: some accountability take some accountability
0: you're in charge of the game plan you could have changed the margins right like yes I know he's talking about like did the ball cross the goal line there is no goal line technology right that's the instance that he's talking about but that is a a five minute stretch of the match there are still 85 other minutes that you could have changed the game with your tactics and and what you were doing so I don't know I just thought that was an interesting little nugget. Yeah, which still
4: could wouldn't have won them the game. You would have tied. Like you're, you're exactly. here to win. So take some accountability. And you have a stacked team. You have what? You have some of the best players in the world. So yeah. I, I agree. I was annoyed. We saw, we saw those frustrating
3: moments. moments. We saw players get kind of in their heads a little bit. I mean, this. I think you got to ask now. You got to start asking questions of the coaching staff.
2: Ooh, yeah. Putting the heat on for Jonas Ideval. Um, Just really quickly, Lada Ruben Moy's elbow to Bunny Shaw's face. Anybody else catch that? Anybody else have something to say about that?
3: I mean, yeah, I touched, Santa in touched in on it. That, I touched on it in that I was just like, I don't know how we're not, I don't know how we're not, you know, calling that in real time or if, you know, especially coming off of a week where that three game match suspension was issued to Rachel Daly. Like maybe they're going to go back and look at it and maybe there's going to be you know, some sort of disciplinary action that's handed down because if, if that's how they're operating in one scenario, I would like to see that operating, similar operating uh, operation happening in this scenario. But if it doesn't, I think it's cause for concern for sure. Yeah. Uh,
4: I really don't like it because Arsenal's backline's game plan was obviously to try to lock out Bunny Shaw from getting on the ball, oh, yeah. which still didn't work, mind you. She was still getting on the end of crosses, on the end of corner kicks, whatever. But I I don't like this going out of your way to hit a player. Like that could have taken her out for a game. That could have affected her. I'll be real. I don't, I don't like, like that.
3: It's like that. I don't like that. It's on bunny Shaw specifically. I'm not, look, sure. Me too. Me sure too. Sure you could take a Thank look you, at a play that occurred and you could say, oh yes, that should have been a red. Why wasn't that called in real time? But I'm gonna, <laughs> maybe let's make it a little bit personal. But the fact that it's bunny Shaw, you have the leading goal scorer in England right now. How yeah. is she not getting those calls?
2: Yeah,
3: I don't like all that.
4: eyes on her. Yeah, me neither. All
2: right, didn't want to work up more anger here because we we obviously have a lot of emotions about this match. Um, let me read through some more of these results here. Wolves against Brighton, they were tied until the 88th minute, and then Emma Kohlberg gets an eight-minute hat trick. Brighton getting the four to one win there. Nottingham Forest and Everton, Everton winning that game seven to one, again seven to one. Okay. No time here because we have so many matches to cover here. Chelsea against Crystal Palace. Talk me through it. Darian.
4: Yeah, I, it was a really good game. Well, let me take that back. It was a really good <laughs> game for Miro Ramirez. I didn't think anyone else. I, I don't know. Obviously Crystal Palace were in a low block they parked the bus. I think without Lauren James, Chelsea struggling to get teams to be drawn out to then have space to play. In their back line, or in in their who their their opponent's defensive half, and I thought the bright spot was Mira Ramirez. I thought she was going out of her way to get on the end of crosses, although the crosses weren't great. There was maybe two, I think, that were created good opportunities. But let's talk about her flick because Ooh. her one. Well, I I don't even know how she did that. If the ball was behind her, like this is what I'm saying. She's such a good forward that these yeah. great forwards make something out of nothing. And she has proven that, and especially being her first goal. I'm excited to see what more is to come. Because imagine if she starts getting tap-ins where she's really on par and her there's good energy between her and her teammates and they're on the same page and that chemistry starts to build more and more. I think she's going to be one of the top goal scorers. And even with her coming in this late in the season, because, man, that was, that was such a good goal.
0: She scores the hard ones and the mm-hmm. easy ones. And sometimes uh, like she could have had two. Right. There was a shot from her off the crossbar like five minutes before the goal ultimately came. It was like the 80th minute or so for her. And she's constantly moving to create open space and to get there and, and create nothing out of something or create something out of nothing. Excuse me. On this cross that comes in with that that little back heel flick to get in. Darian, you mentioned how Chelsea had trouble breaking down that low block. I think they they lacked a bit of creativity in their attacking end when yeah. trying to break down Crystal, Crystal Palace, and that's because they didn't have Lauren James, right? Like that, mm-hmm. I think when James is in there, she does provide a little bit more flair and freedom on the ball that stems to the rest of the team, whether it's not Lauren James herself breaking down a low block and having those creative runs, it's she kind of rubs off on other players and they tend to have a little bit more fluidity movement and they can kind of bounce around. Um, I would have loved to see what James could have done in this match with Ramirez and especially against a low block. And then towards the end of the game, when everything does change and, and Ramirez starts to feel herself and she's able to get that insane, insane uh, back heel flick.
2: Yeah, it's worth mentioning. You you say that Lauren James would have made an absolute difference there. I completely agree with you, but she was a late um, exit. Uh, she was feeling sick. Emma Hayes then sent her home saying, you know, these immunity things. It's not worth playing her and then her getting further sickness. So she was supposed to be in the starting 11 and then was sent home by Emma Hayes. Uh, a big miss there, just performance-wise, because she, she does bring so much to the table. But All right, great conversation ladies we had so much to talk about I know that Arsenal and Manchester City match took most of our attention because it was a good one. It was a big one. Um, Why don't we go and end the show because we covered a lot of topics here. Thank you guys so much for joining Attacking Third as always Sandra, Lisa, Darian, Jenny saying